0: Hi, my name is Jason Scott. Welcome to I Love Edmonton Real Estate. Today, we're talking to Sarah Lieb from Remax River City. Welcome to the show, Sarah.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Sarah, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because you're a really young, active realtor who's who's making a good mark in the city. How long have you been a realtor for?
1: I've been licensed for five years as of this month.
0: Well, oh, congratulations. How did you get into the business?
1: It started through my husband, actually, who is now my husband, buying and selling real estate and flipping properties, which led to holding properties, which led to him saying you should sell our properties instead of hiring another agent.
0: Gotcha. Were you either of you involved in uh, rental real estate before you met? Or?
1: No. When I first moved to Edmonton and I was going to school, I worked part-time at the River City office, actually, as the part-time evening and weekend receptionist. And then at that same time, my husband had a construction background and just started thinking about getting involved in buying his first house. And yeah, so I just kind of worked out. We both had that same interest.
0: Gotcha. So you have a fairly sizable portfolio now, is that right?
1: Yeah, we have 30 doors.
0: Wow, that's awesome. In five years or just over five uh, years?
1: No, we bought our first house in 99 and we okay. still have that house. Well, it was he bought the house and it had a basement suite and then he lived there and then moved into another house and then I lived there when I was finishing up school and yeah, we still have the house and it's now a legal basement suite and yeah. we have the main floor and we're putting in new windows next week.
0: Oh, very good. Yeah. What, Just out of curiosity, why did you go to school for?
1: Uh, Actually... Arts uh, arts management. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. So a bit of a diversion to yeah. uh, real estate?
1: I had a bit of an arts background in Saskatchewan and enjoyed the arts. I thought I'd make a go of it. So I worked actually at the Winspear for a number of years. I did rentals, marketing, and I ended up doing grant writing for them. Yeah, and so I was there for about eight years. It was a good start to my career.
0: Very good. Yeah. So your rental real estate portfolio, is that something where the two of you are still self-managing that? Yes. So how do you squeeze in having, you know, a real estate business, your husband has his business, you have the property portfolio, how do you get all that done in a day or month or week?
1: Organization, timing, we only sign one year leases. So I know. When my And I stagger them. So like right now, I have a busy time of year. I know that they're all coming up for renewal. I'm proactive. Right now, by Friday, I've asked all my people to let me know if they're staying for another year. We're pretty fortunate because our properties are good properties and we don't gouge in the rent. So we have usually people for at least two to three years. So I know when someone of them are coming up, you know, it's kind of their time but a lot of them do renew. So it's pretty, you know, and the odd person, you know, has to move out of the the city and break their lease for work or something, but it works out okay throughout the year.
0: Gotcha. What are some of the advantages of being a real estate agent when it comes to building and running a rental portfolio?
1: I guess you would know more about neighbourhoods. Like what rents would be, the value of neighborhoods, and then also what to look for. Maybe in an apartment building it would be different, but as a single family house, what maintenance is needed or chapel improvements would be coming up, what people look for in rentals, I guess more so when you're shopping for the property.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you do much flipping of homes?
1: Not anymore. That's how we started buying and selling. But we don't do single family homes really anymore.
0: Okay. Why why did you move away from doing flips? Because you know, people watch yeah. HGTV and they yeah. think it's all glamorous and and fun
1: and- um just because we started getting into a bigger market so into more commercial buildings apartment buildings okay. warehouses that sort of thing yeah i don't think really anything particular just the direction that we went we we're going for more volume than for a single like one house at a time
0: right you get more bang for your dollar for the same amount of effort really at the end of yeah. the day right? <laughs> are there disadvantages to being a realtor when it comes to having your own portfolio
1: i don't think so so far all my tenants have been positive experiences so i haven't had anybody say oh that realtor sarah was my landlord or, right. not that i know of i guess <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly but uh, no i don't think so okay have any of your tenants become clients on the buying side
1: no oh. i'm still waiting for it
0: do you market to them at all about no
1: that? i haven't really yet. i have mixed feelings about it because i kind of want them to stay my tenants.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right do you want them to get paid today or, <laughs> yeah, or for yeah, a yeah. longer period yeah. right? so they
1: all I'm a realtor. And there's been a few in the last couple of years that have bought property and that's why they've moved. But for whatever reason, it, it wasn't to me.
0: Right. Well, hey, sometimes it pays to keep things separate. Yeah, too, I right? think
1: they wanted to. Maybe they don't want to tell me they're moving before they buy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but you know what that... Could be a big issue, actually. Are there any awards or recognitions that you've received as a realtor?
1: Yeah. And so through the REMAX program, I've been 100% and now platinum for the last few years. I think right now I may be the top. I think I'm 16% in Edmonton. For okay. the, all of MLS realtors. And then I try to be active in the community as well, which yeah. I guess necessarily isn't a reward, but I, you know, try to be involved in different boards and volunteering.
0: Okay, what sort of boards are you
1: on? So right now I'm involved through the local association on the member services board. And then with the REMAX, I'm involved in the general advertising committee, which would be for Edmonton area. And then for the not for profit right now, I sit on the community services advisory board through the city of Edmonton. It's between the arts and sports and emergency services.
0: Okay. And so they're obviously doing fundraising and stuff like that to help out, right? Yeah. Okay. Are there any areas in the city, so either geographic areas or property types that you specialize in?
1: I try to stay central, like okay. uh, mature neighborhoods, west or south, downtown. By default, I do a lot of condos, I think, because I've owned a lot of condos and buildings myself. Right now, I'm working in a show suite selling new condos. Right. So okay. it just seems to gravitate towards that.
0: Right. So we're in a building called the Brownstones. It's uh, just south of White Avenue. How did you end up getting into to working show suites like this?
1: So when I first started out, I approached Troy Stenson, who has had a relationship with Tesco for probably 20, 25 years and uh, as a new realtor you know you're looking for avenues of business so I said if you ever needed help at the show suite or you know uh, looking for somebody to cover off for holidays even and he took me up on the offer so I've been here ever since.
0: And how many years is that?
1: This is three years.
0: Okay. On so, different complexes or just this No,
1: one? just this one. So pre-sale was for what, a year and a half. And then people moved in here one year ago. And now we have four left to sell. Okay. I sold one last week. So oh, one down. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the last few always take a bit yeah,
0: longer. Gotcha. So if people are out there looking at buying new condos, what are some of the things that they should be looking for?
1: In general, for real estate, I would say Location. You know, is it going to suit your needs? Are you looking as an investment or owner occupied? And then with new condos, it's a little bit different because you don't have to worry as much about reserve fund because your effective age is quite far out at this point. Uh, So, you know, it's going to, Take a long time for that elevator to break down, and you just save for that. Yeah, and then just quality of construction. What are your condo fees now? Uh, assume that they will go up, uh, you know, next year by let's say twenty, thirty dollars a month. Uh, just by the time the board takes over and the management gets in place, and maybe people want more planters outside, or you know, there's always changes to be made once the owners, and usually that costs money. So.
0: Right, of course, yeah. You know, like anything else, you don't know what your costs are until you're into the thick yeah. of it, right? So, in terms of locations. You said mature neighborhoods. What do you see as the benefit for clients who are looking at buying in mature neighborhoods? Or again, what should they be looking out for?
1: So with an older home, I love hate them. Because they usually have a lot of character, but they also come with their own set of problems and issues. So just being aware that you probably will have to do maintenance. And it's more so ongoing, I find, sometimes. Unless, you know, obviously the roof needs to be replaced, but that could happen in a new house too in 20 years, right? So just more it's preventive maintenance, I should say. Mm-hmm. You know, keep make sure your downspouts are down. Keep your grading proper, you proper know. Slope. Yeah, exactly. So, things like that more so than I think anything. And then, cosmetic stuff, you know, you can change at any time that you want.
0: Right. There are a couple of neighborhoods in Edmonton that are very desirable. I'm thinking of like Westmount, where, you know, the houses are 100 years old or so. And you see a lot of work being done to the foundations there, mm-hmm. where, you know, in a lot of cases, they're lifting the house and totally redoing the foundation. What would you say to clients who are interested in getting into areas like that and situations like that?
1: Yeah. The first thing I do whenever I look at houses that are early 1900s is you check the foundation. Are they brick? Are they block? Are they concrete? And usually they're a mixture of it. You know what? Some of them will last forever as long as you keep that water away from them. Mm -hmm. And other ones... You know, they need work. And I guess it's a balance between, do you love this character house so much that you put in the money? Or is it worth letting it wait till it falls over and then starting over? Or do you just bulldoze it now? Right. Yeah, that's why I love hate on that. And they always have low basements too. So it's not really usable space, but... It's always central location, though.
0: Yeah. When you're dealing with clients and they're saying, okay, you know, this is our budget and there's a trade-off between proximity to downtown Mm -hmm. or areas like White Avenue and obviously cost, how are people typically making decisions as to do we stick in a Mm -hmm. mature area or do we head out to the burbs?
1: Yeah, suburb versus urban. Mm -hmm. It's really a lifestyle choice more than anything, I find that for one person, the don't want to drive when they get home. They want to walk. They don't care if they live in a smaller house because they're going to be at the restaurants or the parks. And other people, they want to entertain and they don't want to leave their house and they want a big backyard. And they don't mind the commute because then they don't go out on the weekends or the evenings. Or, you know, so I'm really fine. It's lifestyle. It's not necessarily... And it's a process, too. Some people say, oh, I want A, B, and C. And then they see A, B, and C, and that's not actually what they want. They want a D, E, and F. Right. So part of it is a learning experience to see as a buyer. You know, on paper, it may be one thing, but once you're actually there, it's different.
0: Right. So when you and your husband were starting your portfolio and the suggestion was made that, hey, you know, maybe you should go get your real estate license. I mean, obviously that was made as a business decision. But when was it that you went, hey, you know what, being an agent really is for me?
1: Once I got my license, <laughs> in hindsight, right, oh, I should have done it a long time ago. But uh, then, if we were both entrepreneurs, self-employed, you know, it's a big risk for a family. So it was a slow build up to it. But I felt really comfortable with it, even once the decision was made and I was taking my license, because I felt I did have experience and I had been through. And I have, I've sat on both sides of the table. I've been a seller myself and I've been a buyer myself. I totally understand where people are coming from, you know, and and what they're considering. So. I really enjoyed, or I still do enjoy that aspect of it, that being in their shoes. It's uh, exciting.
0: What are some of the uh, typical feelings that you think your clients go through, whether they're buying or selling? Because obviously yes. it's fairly emotional.
1: Yeah. So they're elated, they're disappointed, they're happy, sad, they're angry. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, it all works out and it's, it's all warm, fuzzy. It's a roller coaster, this job. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any good stories about that? No, just in general that even I'll get bad news about a deal falling apart or or possibly falling apart. And then the next phone call is like, Oh, we've sold a place and you know, or you'll hear back about an inspection. But then on the flip side, somebody calls me and says, Hey Sarah, we want to list our house. So you have to keep them very separate, all those deals. You know, that's just the way it is. And if you're not having good days and bad days, then you're probably not working very hard. <laughs> <laughs> so you have it all if you're fair. busy.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Do you get into uh, many situations in today's market where we should be theoretically in a buyer's market, but are you getting in any multiple offer situations?
1: Yeah, I was in two weeks ago. The house sold yesterday. I followed up on it and my clients lost out because they had a sale of home condition. They okay. weren't in a position to float two homes and there was three offers and that's just the way it goes. Yeah, it just it's... happens that if it's a desirable property, it's priced right. Even the other day, actually, something had been on the market for over a year And my clients were interested in it. So we went back, went back for a second showing. Then we heard, oh, there's another potential offer that we had already written. So we scared off the other people, which was good. But, you know, these things just happen. It's Murphy's Law, right? Right.
0: You don't think that's a tactic sometimes that agents will say, hey, we've got another offer coming in when maybe there actually isn't an offer?
1: unscrupulous realtors would do that but yeah. you always ask for the name so if it's my listing i'll always disclose upfront. i'll be like hey jason scott is bringing in clients you're welcome to call him to confirm and then as a buyer's agent i say who are the other offers and if you feel depending on the real turn the relationship you have with them yeah. you may make that phone call for some and i've had somebody call me actually on this one that we went into the one agent called me to say hey i just want to confirm you're actually writing on it
0: right okay as a realtor, there's so many realtors out there that, you know, quite often you may have not worked with someone previously. And then on the, the flip side of that is that, of course, most of the business gets done by, you know, probably 20% yeah. of the agents out there. How is it for you in terms of building rapport and keeping rapport with other agents?
1: Yeah, it's about being professional in communication and remembering that this is a small town. It just boggles my mind how often people forget that you're going to run into that agent again or they're going to know somebody in your office. So I strive to be transparent and to be, you know, as professional and upfront. Ultimately, the same goal is that we want to make our clients happy and there's going to be some compromise on either side ultimately. So as long as you're looking out for your clients, it's not, you know, that realtor you know, you have to negotiate and you're maybe not best friends at that time, but you're still being professional and trying to work things out.
0: Right. Yeah. And I've heard stories where realtors get on the phone or have received phone calls and the opposing realtor is very aggressive, very rude, et cetera. And it's it's surprising. Yeah.
1: Yeah, But each to their own, I guess.
0: Yeah. Okay. Tell me about the most frustrating day that you uh, ever had in real estate.
1: I don't think there's one. Yeah, it's just having patience. I think it's probably the most frustrating thing for me because I I like things to be done now. And I've learned a lot of patience (laughs) because it doesn't happen overnight in real estate. Yeah, Things always take time. And even when, let's say, uh, you do list a house and you get a multiple offer that day, especially in the boom, that all led up to something. You know, it doesn't happen overnight that all of a sudden, oh, now we have three offers on the table. You know, there was prep for that house, uh, meetings and paperwork and getting it all staged and ready.
0: Yeah.
1: Everything takes time, and some people will buy a house in a month, and some people will buy a house in two years. Right. You know, so.
0: Yeah. I was just talking to a realtor earlier today who was saying that they've shown this couple who are from out of town somewhere around 30 houses. They had a week to find a house, they're up to 30 viewings, and the couple keeps coming back saying, Hey, we're not really um, liking what we're seeing. Have you ever found yourself in that situation?
1: Yeah. And again, it's a process for people that they'll say I want this this and this and there's usually something either they're just starting out so they don't know maybe these people if they're new to Edmonton they're trying to reconcile maybe price and location and size and so that takes time as well but I usually try to listen as much as possible and maybe give them other options you know say hey if you like this but for that to work we'd have to go over here so you kind of it's an education process of really? the clients, yeah. clients. Yeah, of what is realistic for the market at this time or our city. Right. And sometimes, too, people need to reconcile uh, how much they can afford. And sometimes that's hard
0: right. for
1: people to realize. Right. Right. They want, uh, was it champagne on a beer budget?
0: Yeah, champagne tastes beer budget. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it happens a lot.
0: It does happen a lot? Nobody <laughs> likes beer. <laughs> I like beer. <laughs> Is there a particular demographic of client that you you find yourself working with more often?
1: Yeah, it's kind of two extremes. It's either, you know, the older people that maybe are downsizing or retiring, and then the younger first time home buyers. I guess because maybe middle age are kind of settled for now, uh, unless they are looking to move up into a bigger house if they have kids or if they are relocating to Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And lots more single people than even like single women, single uh, men. Is that buying on their own?
0: First time buyers, or they've yeah. separated and no, now they're buying the first A lot person. of
1: first time buyers are single. They're not waiting until they're in a relationship.
0: Yeah. So why do you think that is?
1: Just the nature of our society now and people have good jobs. And I don't think nowadays the whole goal is to like get married and have kids and buy a big house in the suburbs. And, you know, it's a changing demographic in a way that way, the younger people. Mm -hmm.
0: One of the big issues that have been going on in Edmonton lately is infill development. Very controversial. (laughs) I was reading a story in the paper on the weekend where neighborhoods are getting together and drafting up legal agreements that basically say- That's right. You're not allowed, if you sign it, you're not allowed to uh, ever subdivide your house or, or, sorry, your lot or build a duplex, etc. What's your take on that?
1: I think infill is very good for most neighborhoods. Like, for example, Aspen Gardens is one of the big ones in the news right now. And I understand that. It's RF1. And perhaps that shouldn't change. The neighborhoods, uh, such as where we are, and I live in Bonny Dune, they're RF3. They've always been a mixed neighborhood of, I don't want to say low income, but you know, there'll be basement suites. There'll be the big mansions. Right. More be, just more diverse. Yeah, more density. Mm-hmm. And that way, maybe there's a fourplex on the corner, uh, and even around here where we are now in Queen Alexandra. You know, there's the nine hundred thousand dollar house beside the three hundred thousand dollar teardown. And that's just the nature of these neighborhoods. Are in great locations, and they people want bigger houses now. They're not raising kids in two bedroom houses, right? It just so that changes. Overall, I think it is positive, especially because the schools are closing. People are moving to the suburbs. What are we going to do with this infrastructure here? Mm-hmm. So I agree with it. There does have to be a balance on both sides. Mm-hmm. But overall, you can't stop change. And those people want to live in the close neighborhoods. They want to live there for the same reasons you did when that person originally bought. But maybe they can't afford it now. And how are we going to make it affordable? Well, you have to subdivide a lot.
0: Yeah. Now, well, but that is one of the yeah. counter arguments, right? <laughs> it's so not, it's subdu- well, not affordable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you you create two skinny houses, but they're each $800,000.
1: But it's more affordable than buying the 50-foot lot and building a big new house or renovating the little house that's there. That's true. But yeah, I see both sides. I think it's great for my neighborhood, just driving up property value. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a balance because there's more things than just affordability. It's the infrastructure and the vitality of that neighborhood. And our taxes as taxpayers, the further out you go, the more we're paying for those services.
0: That's right. So as a society, as a whole... You know, city council yeah. has come out and said, look, th- these neighborhoods are going to create what was it, one or $1.8 billion? <sighs> deficit in terms of extra infrastructure and servicing costs over the next 10 or 20 years?
1: Who's paying for that? We are as taxpayers.
0: Yeah. So should maybe then the city be charging a premium to uh, developers developers, for lots?
1: So I think Calgary in the last year, they made such an arrangement because before, and I don't quote me on all the details, but the city of Calgary funded most of that infrastructure out there. But now they're asking the developers to kick in a portion, which ultimately will just be passed down to the consumer anyway. Right.
0: Prices go up. Yeah. yeah. But at
1: least it's not, you know, the people that maybe aren't using those services out there.
0: Yeah. What is the best real estate advice you've ever received, Sarah?
1: So there's a few cliches that hold true. Location, location, location. hmm buy the least expensive house in the best neighborhood. Why is that? Uh, Because you maybe don't want to be the million dollar house, but you want to be on the row with the million dollar houses. Okay, so that's back to beer and champagne. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They hold their value those neighborhoods, typically. And then also for resale, I think it's always easier to sell something mid-priced or lower than the most expensive. Right. Uh, Especially that holds true, you know, in certain neighborhoods or even condos. If your neighborhood or your building isn't holding that value and you're dumping all the money into your own personal property that's great you're going to be there for 20 years you love it but maybe don't expect that return necessarily because of your neighborhood or building and i believe those do hold true also just owning land there's only so much of it
0: okay sarah if you were to look at your last 10 closings what sort of trends do you see
1: uh people need to be more organized and get (laughs) things done before uh, it's too late
0: so what do you mean by that um
1: Getting your insurance, your binder letter in place before you take possession because your bank's not going to give you money until you have that. Uh, Getting your RPR compliant before the buyers take over. And, you know, there are times where you have quick closings and these things maybe can't be avoided. But just, you know, for the most part... If you're organized, things go a lot smoother.
0: Right. Okay. So that's all post-negotiation. What about during the negotiations or during the shopping process? What have you seen in the last few deals?
1: Better trends. Right now, I'm finding nobody is motivated, buyers or sellers. Like for the odd property, if it's priced well, like I said, we're still going into multiples and things are selling quickly. But for the most part in our market right now, we're really fortunate. Prices are fairly stable and it is moving along. But I think that outside perception of right now is that it's a buyer's market uh the sky is falling you know that sort of thing but it's still reconciling sellers think their house is worth what their neighbors sold for you know 18 months ago and it's not and buyers keep waiting for a deal of the century right. which we're not we're not there prices aren't dropping 50 there's no deal of the century out there so it's kind of that balance that things just seem to be taking a little bit longer right. because They just are. People aren't feeling motivated.
0: What do you think will have to happen for them to start being motivated?
1: I think just in general, the economy needs to seem more upbeat. Mm-hmm. People forget how fortunate we are here in Edmonton. We're so lucky our economy here, and it's more diverse than Calgary or Perry, even what Fort McMurray was, that it's just a balancing act and that people again need to realize maybe this is the new normal. Your house isn't going up in value 10% a year. I'm sorry. That's not, <laughs> but that's not normal.
0: But it is in Toronto and Vancouver. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's just that knowing that we're okay. And again, it's that uh, perception, I think, sometimes of the news and the world economy. And
0: I mean, I guess, you know, you can always make the argument to a buyer that, hey, you buy a house today and let's pretend it never went up a dollar over 20 or 25 years. At least at the end of that, you know, you would have the mortgage paid down if you didn't refinance. Exactly. And, yeah. and then you do have that nest egg that you sell and retire on. Yeah.
1: No, exactly. And that's why in terms of real estate advice, just buying as soon as you're able to. And it doesn't mean that's your forever home, but you're not paying rent to your landlord. You're paying it to yourself.
0: Wait a second. I know. You're a it's a balance.
1: It's a balance. <laughs> I like, like, And there is a purpose to rent in your life. I had to rent at some point. as I'm sure you did. Or if people do separate or, you know, there's times or you're relocating, you rent for a year or two. But overall you know, I I feel you'd probably be in more control of your destiny. You know, you come home, it's your place. You want to rip out a wall, paint a wall, don't paint a wall. You know, that's your decision. And nobody's telling you, you know, in 12 months, oh, are you going to stay or go? Well, you know, you don't have to make that decision at that time. You can come and go, you know, to a degree, as you please. Mm -hmm. If you own your own property.
0: So if a person's buying a property, how long should they be looking at living in that property for before actually, you know, taking the plunge?
1: So if you want to, if you're looking at something, like I have clients that want to buy and then they're going to hold on to that property. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a rental for them one day. So maybe they're looking at it differently as opposed to, oh, maybe I can live here for two to three years. Then I'm going to have kids or, you know, move on to a bigger house or a different neighborhood or whatnot. So, again, it's a bit of a planning process, but it would be more unique to you.
0: Okay. So... Let's say that you had friends or family who were moving across the country, and so you wouldn't be able to help them out as their agent, but you could potentially refer them to someone. What sort of agent would you be looking for? What sort of qualities in those agents would you be looking for?
1: I'd say somebody that's honest, probably a good communicator, and that has experience in either the type of housing or the neighbourhoods. And why? So, for example, the type of housing in mature neighbourhoods. It's quite different to look at, you know, a house that's 100 years old or 50 years old than something that's 10 years old. And you're looking out for different qualities of the house. Or with condos, maybe they know that building, they know the history of the building. You know, essentially, real estate is real estate. A house is a house, whether it's here or in uh, Sherwood Park or St. Albert. It would just be knowing that community.
0: Okay. So, in other words, you know, the, the quality of the agent is as much character as it is expertise mm-hmm.
1: yeah because you want to work with somebody too that is uh, that meshes with your style and that you know somebody that you can rely on I'm all about communication because uh, I can tell you as much information as I want but if you don't communicate back to me I'm gonna keep showing you that house with the green door because I don't know that you hate green right. you know right so if you communicate and you're like actually and even if you change your mind it's no problem I think sometimes people are afraid to almost embarrassed in a way you know to say oh sir we've changed our mind about something you know my goal at the end of the day day is for you to be happy you know I don't have to live in your house you know I'm not the one on the mortgage so it's up to you and your individual situation and my job is to help you get there and what's best for you at that time of your life
0: that's awesome any other thoughts or comments to wrap it up
1: no thanks for having me I really appreciate this this is a great idea
0: okay well thanks Sarah I enjoyed having you on the show and I hope you continue to uh, crush it this year
1: thanks we'll talk soon and we'll work together soon
0: sounds good okay